Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome, everyone, to uh, the Adversity to Advantage podcast today uh, on, from Switzerland. On Skype today, we've got Sam Allen, Samantha Allen. Uh, she is a languages teacher, but training to be a life coach and is extremely passionate about words and, and language. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so, so excited to have you. Uh, so fill in the, the blanks for us. Let us know what are the things that you're most passionate about now in your life? Yeah, I mean, there are so many things that I'm passionate about. Um, but one of the main things has to be words. Um, everything about words, really, the way they sound, the way they feel, um, and the way that they allow me to voice what I feel inside in a kind of nuanced way. So, Just yeah, about like, expression. Yeah, it's like I, I find myself through words, and that makes me feel more connected to who I am and it's more authentic in the way that I express myself as a result of that. It almost sounds like a sort of therapy, you know, finding yourself through those words. Yeah, I think it is actually. I, it really does feel like that. It's become so much a part of me that if there's a day when I don't write, I kind of feel a bit strange, like, you know, like a vital part of my day has been missed out. So it's that, part of who I am now. That's so interesting. It, it brings me back to some of my, my teenage years where, where writing was definitely the, the outlet for all frustration yeah. and angst and yeah. you know, mostly shit writing, but um, it, was the <laughs> it was the process, right, of, of old oh, school pen yeah. to paper. Uh, none of this typing crap. You just had to, like, uh, see the flow of the words on the paper. There was something very uh, therapeutic about it. Yeah, there's definitely something around, like, flow. Um, I have to say that, you know, it isn't just on paper. In fact, um, I, I often have my phone, but I, I don't have Wi-Fi on or anything. But I'm busy. I walk to work. So I type my poetry into my phone just so that I have something to hand that I can access quickly. So actually, you know, I was kind of anti all this stuff before, but now it's like it gives me a means to be even more creative. So it's like a, a portable creative device for me now. It's a portable everything device, you know. Yeah. Um, I listen to every podcast and thing that's inspirational or, you know, it's, it's how you use it, I guess, for good or yeah. for evil, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so give us a, a bit of context, Sam. Um, take us back to sort of gr growing up. I mean, you sound like you're from the UK. You said you're from the UK. Um, yeah. What was it like growing up? Do you, were you set on the path to sort of be a teacher from day one? Um. I was, I knew actually that's an interesting question. I didn't know that I was going to be a teacher, but what I did know was that when I first had my first French class, that was something that I would be doing with my life. And I actually vividly remember going into the class, being completely enchanted by the whole process and knowing, you know, having this sense of knowing, even at the age of what, 10 I must have been, that there was some calling with language and words for me. 
so you know the teaching came I guess out of that um there's something about the magic of the languages class in the first place yeah it was just like I felt like I could you know with words and here and you know in the sense of this it was the foreign words it was like you know I could explore different parts of myself and yeah it kind of lit me up I guess and I felt like I was able to explore different personas through, you know, different languages. And, yeah, it was something about it that really just fired me up, even from a young age. And so then what was your, your school life like? Was it, did you have siblings growing up? Did you, what were your support yeah. networks like uh, sort of growing up through that system? Yeah, so um, I have a brother and we were at the same school. We're quite different in character. Um, I'm somebody that likes to travel quite a bit and kind of expands and my brother prefers a smaller circle um so we've we've led quite different lives as we've grown up but you know we had a really good childhood and um yeah the school was just a a sleepy kind of um suburban school um my parents didn't have an awful lot of money so they kind of struggled to for us to live in an area in which we could go to a decent school so you know we were lucky that we did have that start um but yeah I had a good circle of friends Lots of girlfriends that live quite nearby that, you know, I could pop in on and have sleepovers with. And yeah. I had a lot of community in my childhood. So, so important, that sort of um, secure base. And so yeah. going into this theme around adversity or challenges uh, that you yeah. faced, what, what sort of comes up for you when you think about those things? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the first sort of real moment of adversity for me was uh, when I was 18, actually, um, and my happy childhood kind of crumbled in front of me. Um, yeah, my parents came back from a family holiday, and it was just horrendous, really. So, like, my perception of reality was very challenged by this traumatic experience. And I think that was quite changing. It was the first step in realizing that, you know, people aren't perfect. Um, even your parents aren't perfect sometimes. And yeah, I had to dig deep within myself to uh, carve out, I guess, a kind of new identity as a result of what was a really difficult time. Well, I mean, what was it like? Was it quite explosive and, and you know, sort of in your face in a way? Or did, were people retreating away from each other and like kind of isolating themselves? Um, I think what happened was my family became very divided at that time. And I think it was like, yeah, it was like it was split in two that's the experience that we had. And, and, you know, my parents then went on to have very separate existences in different marriages. Um, so it was, yeah, it fractured our family. And so regardless of the, the sort of practical stuff that was going on, you're saying the impact on you was, was very fractured and it was as if you needed to piece together uh, your new identity with this new information. Yeah, I think so. I think it was like, um, yeah, I had to, I had to find who I was, um, you know, outside of who I was within my family, which I think everybody goes through in their life. Um, and maybe not at that age, um, some people younger and some people a lot older, but that was my turning point. And so how did it, how did it affect you? Um, did you just kind of pull away from your family since it was divided and the sort of drama was going on? What what were the steps that you took? Well, I mean, you, it sort of like felt like it was kind of all happening around you. So, you know, I went to, I went to university two weeks after this experience. So university was a bit of a strange time for me. Um, 
And in the meantime, you know, my dad was busy trying to keep things normal for both of me and my brother. My mum was trying to repeat her life. Um, and, you know, I had a year abroad in my degree and there was a lot of moving back, moving forward. And, yeah, I, I just remember lots of movement and a kind of unsettled period of time um, up until I had my gap year in France, which was quite a crucial step in moving forward within myself. What was what was crucial about it? I think the distance um, and the distraction just was such a fulfilling experience at the time. Difficult at first. And then, I, you know, I met some wonderful people. Um, there was a lady who, when I was looking for accommodation to stay in um, over in Poitiers in France, um, yeah, she was one of the people that was offering up accommodation. And I went to visit her flat and I had this really intense experience. She opened the door and it was like lots of sort of light felt like it was coming out of her apartment. And I just knew... I have to live here for the year. This is the right place for me. It spoke um, to you. Yeah, and it, and it turned out, you know, that um, this wonderful lady who's still a dear friend of mine, Francine, um, mm-hmm. you know, she hadn't had her own children um, and we just became very close. She was like a mum to me in the year that I lived there. Um, and as a result of the confidence that I felt through that relationship, um, yeah, I, I started to gain a different perspective um, and one that was positive for me. So your identity began to form a little bit and that secure relationship with her, it just yeah. sort of, and that distance, it sounds like just moving away yeah. allowed, allowed you the space to even figure yeah. some of this stuff out. And again, you know, going back to language, I mean, the fact that, um, I was speaking a different language, I was, you know, learning a different language, using this different language, um, it allowed me to explore different parts of myself. And that was just really fun. I made a lot of Spanish friends that were already very proficient in French. And they were really great at helping me learn French because, you know, we were all foreigners. So there wasn't the kind of barrier of like, you know, oh, they, they were perfect or something. It was like they, they were really good at French, but they weren't natives. And there was so much fun. And, you know, there was a lot of going out and happy times and dancing and yeah friendship and connection coming and, of age yeah through through that I I found like wow there are so many different avenues to exploring your own happiness and uh, for me one of those avenues has always been uh, through travel um, and not just travel but through through encountering different cultures through travel and what is it about that because I mean I grew up traveling you know nomadically we we grew yeah. up in sort of india and brazil and all sorts of countries and then that sort of the the bug was within me uh, knowing yeah. that every time i moved somewhere every time i went somewhere I, I was it's probably the only time i'm able to be fully mindful and present yeah. i'm mm-hmm. otherwise it for me it's quite contrived and forced uh, and yeah. you know good for me but I try and be mindful within the hectic London life in order to look after my mental health and well-being. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's not immersive. And there's something about travel for me that mm-hmm. just allows me to fully be present in the moment. And, and that's something yeah. that's so enriching. I mean, what is it for you, the travel thing? Yeah, travel is um, different faces, different places. I'm beginning to write a poem here. Yeah. <laughs> Free stuff. It is quirky little things yeah surprises Um, it it does not have to be 
um, you know, 48 hours on a flight or something. It, it, it can actually just be, you know, an hour on a plane to somewhere that I've never been before. And, you know, spending a few days in one tiny part of that place and feeling like, you know, I'm changed because of it. It's about how things impact me and how, um, yeah, how things change within me because of these new encounters. I feel they kind of help you to grow. Um, Completely. And they, they, yeah, they, they somehow enrich your life in a way that you always want more of them. And they allow you, it allows you to shift perspective if you'll let it. You know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you're, definitely. if you're stuck in a problem or a situation or a place, you can sort of yeah. travel and go, Oh, Hey, I didn't know I was capable of that. Or I had this exactly. encounter with somebody that's completely enriched or allowed me to view my problem from a different perspective. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And so on this theme of, uh, adversity, uh, would you identify with, with any language around having a, a rock bottom or a, a complete crash? Would you put it down to sort of the, the situation with your parents or were there other themes that have come up for you? Yeah. I mean, I struggled with some, um, episodes of depression in my life. Um, and that some of which, uh, started around the time of my parents, generally that kind of time onwards. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of soul searching to, to be done in that time. Um, and again, from a fairly young age, you know, that started from like 18, um, yeah. and so I've done a lot of reading and a lot of, you know, read a lot of pop psychology and yeah. a lot of different paths. Yeah. Um, and In all order. Stuff has added a lot to, to my makeup, um, and to my experience. And, you know, I continue to pursue that, um, this type of reading because I just feel that it, it very much enhances how you live and helps you to get a greater understanding of yourself of the world around you and the things that aren't said, you know? Um, I mean, so, at, at what point would you have said, or would you have noticed that it might've been, you know, depression rather than, you know, feeling a bit sad about the, the maybe the transition or changes in your life? Um, I think, uh, for me, the depression, when I experienced it was quite a feeling of numbness mm. just like a slight feeling of remove um from my own experience it was like I was slightly detached from myself so I, I felt it very physical you know I found it would sort of weigh down a little bit on my head and and um yeah I would feel somehow like I couldn't move that was the experience it's like a heavy um, heaviness yeah heaviness and a feeling of um, stuckness and, yeah, not knowing where to go. It was like it, I felt directionless and, um, yeah, it's difficult to put it into into a, um, tangible words, but a feeling of um, feeling lost, I guess. Yeah directionless all, yeah, all of those words really uh paint a, a picture yeah. of, uh, which which may have made you question hey what what's going on here something so there's yeah. something bigger going on definitely yeah look, um yeah exactly and then what was your um I don't know your your awareness of maybe mental health issues or depression specifically 
did you grow up in a culture where people sort of talked about these things or did you fear that it was a sign of weakness? Like how, how difficult was it to maybe come to terms with that? Um, when it first started happening to me, I was very frightened by it because I didn't really know much about it and I was relatively young. Um, and it was at a time when it wasn't so open as it is now. And even now there's, there's a long way to go on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was frightened by it. Um, it was something, I mean, I, I confided in my, my parents about it, particularly my dad, um, and told friends and stuff. Um, and I, you know, I went to see a counselor to work through some of the difficult emotions, which was immensely helpful for me. Um, and so I found avenues, um, but I, you know, it really was a, a frightening time because I didn't really know until I'd done the reading, until I'd gone to see somebody, what, what it was, you know. So the isolation came actually through the, the fright of, of finding myself feeling that way. And, and not wanting other people to see you in that situation? I'm not sure. You know what? It was, it was so all-consuming that I'm not sure at that time I was so obsessed with what my, people might think. It was more the fact that I didn't understand it. So, yeah, it was just confusing for me. Yeah, it's almost like you don't even know what questions to ask or what books to read yeah. at that stage. It's just well, an overwhelming I, lostness. Yeah, I just didn't know what was happening, really. And so somehow you you spoke to your dad, uh, you, you reached out and spoke to a counselor at some point, but what was that little transition bit like to in order to, to maybe ask for help or, or start that journey? Um, yeah, so, hmm, I think it was, I, do you know what? I can't really identify one key moment. I just know that I knew that I needed to reach out and that I had to access resources outside of myself because I wasn't yet equipped to do that. And so what have, what have you learned through this process? What, what kind of routines or habits do you now try and put in place in order to maybe balance out the depression? Um, well, gosh, so many. <laughs> really? Okay. I imagine, I mean, you've read so many books, right? There's so much wisdom here. Oh, I mean, like, you know, firstly, um, it's always a bit worse in the winter months. So, you know, I have invested in a good range of, of light lamps, um, and light visors and so forth so that I can get them a little quota of light in the mornings before I venture out. Um, things like making sure you keep active. Um, I started jogging about three years ago. So I, I go four times a week and this really helps sustain energy levels and gives me a sense of well-being that is incomparable to most other things. Even though I'm, I'm not a talented runner at all, my style is terrible, and I'm never going to win any races, but the important thing for me is the, the motion and the fact that that, um, you know, that provides so much mental well-being. I mean, it's ridiculous, really. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure it's not the point to win races, right? It's about what yeah. is the, the, the impact on your mental health. That's right. Um, and yeah, so there's that. Um, I read lots and lots of stuff, um, just to sort of like stuff that helps me check in with how I am, how, you know, what, what's going on in the world in terms of, um, psychology, in terms of self-help. Um, and this is the sort of stuff that fascinates me anyway. I'm fascinated by humanity, by people and by, 
you know, their emotional worlds and how they access them and how they acknowledge them within their lives. Um, I, I think it's also important to like, to keep, to have goals that are not anything to do with, you know, feeling down. Um, it's whilst acknowledging that you do experience that. Um, so like, what what do you mean? Mm. What I mean to say that like, it's like a balance between um, taking care of yourself when you feel that way, which is really, really important, um, and also having goals and dreams and ambitions in your life that aren't related to feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that focus on so your passions and like what you're capable abs- of. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, you know, one of my great passions in my life is has become um, writing, writing poetry, and for me, this is like a, a vital part of my existence. And, and yeah, this, this really helps me to process my emotional world and to, yeah, to have a voice. Um, that is so very important to me. And, and before we started recording, uh, you, you, you were mentioning something about writing and, and you know, it's therapeutic uh, value for you and uh, an incident in your, in your life or something that occurred uh, that allowed you to I guess, practice this or figure out how useful it could be. Tell tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I had a, a really close relationship with my dad. Um, basically my hero, um, my cheerleader and probably the nicest person I've ever met. And unfortunately he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the age of 65, despite Mm -hmm. having never smoked, Oh, he didn't he didn't really drink um and you know having lived a fantastically honest loving and open life mm. um so when we got the news it was obviously absolutely devastating um and yeah so there was a two a year and a half sorry a year and a half period where he was you know slowly losing this battle to this horrible illness um, and he passed away in December 2015 and the loss was immense um, it, yeah. it still is um, and in losing my dad it was just the most yeah changing and um, difficult time and I I really remember, you know, coming back from um, the funeral over in England, um, getting back to Switzerland and feeling feeling this compelling need within myself to write stuff down. Um, And that came to me in poetry. And it was just like, it wasn't even a thing where I was thinking, oh, yes, I should write things down like a kind of like, you know, to do type thing. It was just this drive, like, it was, you need to get this out of yourself and this is the way it's going to happen. And it, I know it sounds a bit crazy, but it kind of felt like it, it was a calling that came from that experience. Um, and yeah, that one that I could just couldn't ignore. So I would begin, you know, I work as a full-time teacher. So um, on my route to work, I would be trying to process some of this very intense grief, phone in hand, typing these poems on the way into work which is a a 50 minute journey so plenty of time to write yeah and so I I would quite often be very emotional on this journey um and connecting with you know a very deep part of myself through through this poetry 
And then I'd get to the, the school gates, you know, wipe my eyes, turn off my phone, and then the day would start. Um, and you know what? Oh, my goodness. Thank goodness I had that phone, and the, uh, more to the point, thank goodness I could I could write those poems. It was um, my saving grace, really, at that time. Because what did it allow for you to to almost? I'm, I'm picturing, you know, once the phone's off, it's almost like you get to park that for a little while, do your oh, and do your work, and face the day. Yeah. My my. Being able to write, um, particularly that time in the morning, is the most beautiful, expressive moment of solitude in my day. Um, it allows me to have time with what's really going on for me. It allows me to express that creatively. Um, it allows me to have an outlet in my life, an outlet for which I will be eternally grateful because it makes me happy. It relaxes me when I need to if I'm feeling angry I can just get out in words and it you know it goes somewhere it's like you know that I'm actually a, um, a life coach and one of the things we say in the coactive life coaching um, which I do is that emotions are emotions so basically um, energy in motion mm. and that's exactly what it was you know and what it is it's the energy that comes with the strong emotions that I experience have somewhere to go through my writing. And, you know, how good these these poems are is kind of immaterial. Um, what the important thing for me is the process of, um, yeah. Getting of it out there. Stuff out. And I'm curious, uh, I mean, it sounds like your, your father, you know, was, was ill for quite a while. Um, yeah. And so that would have been, uh, you know, unspeakably challenging to watch him sort of suffer and, and, and be ill. And I'm wondering if you were writing then during that struggle or was it very much afterwards? Yeah, that's interesting. I started to try and write stuff, but you know what I think at the time, um, cause I did want to write then, but, yeah. uh, but there's something that blocked me. And I think that was that I thought that if I wrote, it would make it more real to me. Yeah. Uh, so I think I wasn't ready you're also in a sort of limbo for a very extended period of time, not yeah. knowing, you know, learning about a new prognosis or a new treatment or, you know, I'm imagining what that sort of year and a half must have, must have been like. So it's hard to yeah. go, let me now process some kind of closure or, or memories or whatever it might be. Exactly. Um, yeah, there's two, it's that you've got like, you know, you're basically just trying to keep yourself afloat try and you know obviously being living abroad as well you have to manage the life that you've created for yourself abroad whilst sort of processing what's going on with somebody that you love dearly that's not even in the same country um so you're kind of surviving really i think that's quite, um, quite isolating if, if yeah yeah it was it was a difficult time a very difficult time um and yeah, I didn't have that outlet then. Um, I had my jogging, which which actually did help a lot. So, so you were already doing that, of course, yeah. But but what I found in my life actually is that the more outlets that you have and that you allow yourself, um, you know, the more you are um, freer to move forward with your life. I think what happens a lot of the time when you don't have outlets is that things intense feelings become kind of stuck um and 
you know, they've got nowhere to go. So they kind of like come back on you rather than, um, you know, having their own sort of space. Um, and if you can, if you can let these feelings just have a bit of space in something you're doing, they will change. Um, and, you know, brighter days will come. And I, I, I like how you said having a few outlets. I, I don't know yeah. the exact words, but, you know, because sometimes people have one outlet, that one, and it could be, you know, their partner or their husband or um, that yeah. one class that they go to or, you know, which are great things. But if you lose that one thing, yeah. you then feel like you're, you're, you're you know, you're spinning. Um, That's there can be different ones at different times, perhaps, or, or having, if one's not working out, having another one. Definitely. Oh, yeah, I think it's important. And otherwise, also, it can become too, like, routine that you're trying one thing to fix all problems. Right. <laughs> like, right. It's like, actually, sometimes, not that all these things are problems, but, you know, you you have to vary how how you deal with stuff because different different feelings and different moods and different states require different outlets, I guess. And also those will depend on the individual. Absolutely. Not every individual will want to write poetry to process their grief. You know, for some people, um, it it will be a different activity and there are so many things you can do other than just that. For me, I was, you know, lucky that I found that and it came to me at the time that I needed it. But I think you have to know yourself and I think you have to listen to what you really need to be able to to identify that, which is really hard to do when you're you're really in the you know the throes of grief or or depression. Um, but uh, yeah. but what you were doing was educating yourself uh, in in the reading that you've you've done, and I, it sounds like you experimented with stuff that just you know does this feel good? Is this going to be an outlet yeah. that suits me? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I also, um, another outlet, which I found, um, shortly after we lost dad was, um, you know, my dad loved music and I love music. And when I was a child, we used to, um, be involved in musical theater just on an amateur basis together, but it was just such a happy time. And we did, you know, lots of the different shows together. Um, and so, yeah, I realized that I'd kind of lost contact with music, um, in terms of performance within my life, I've always loved music to listen to music and so forth. But so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I looked in a little directory for the village that I live in here in Switzerland and lo and behold, there was a gospel choir being advertised. And I thought, well, you know what, just, just down the road, um, it's a 10 minute walk and you know what, I'll just, you know, have a go. So and that, two look, years later, that ticks a few yeah. boxes because that's first of all going out, getting out of your house. It's community, yeah. it's music, it. it's connection, right? It's routine, all Absolutely. of those things. Yeah, it, and it it was and still is all of those things. Um, okay. I wouldn't be without the gospel choir now. I love. We have these winter concerts we do in November, and you know we spend most of the year preparing for them. And I've come to really appreciate the music. Um, I didn't enter into the choir for religious reasons per se, Um, although um, I do consider myself to be a spiritual person and I do pray. Um, And it's made me feel closer to to that. And that wasn't even the aim of doing it. So this is another outlet that's provided, you know, an enormous amount of connection in my life. I'm imagining that you you may feel more connected to your dad in those moments as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, um, there was one time where 
it was the first sort of mini concert we did. It was actually in the summer and it was, you know, I hadn't performed um, for a long time. So I was a little bit nervous, but kind of excited about doing it as well. We were in quite a big group of us. And so we got up and it wasn't like a massive concert. It was various local choirs that were coming together to, um, yeah, to perform some of their songs. And I stood up on the stage and I felt like my dad had his hands on my shoulders and yeah, we sang one of the songs and I was overwhelmed by such joy that I was almost, well, I was kind of crying while I was singing. Um, and it was wonderful. There's something about that. Say this. So go ahead. Say that again. There's something about, yeah, I was just going to say that, um, it made me feel very close to my dad and it made me feel um, full of love for him and for um, this way of connecting with him. Amazing. And and what, can you reflect at all that you've been through? You know, they talk about stages of grief, you know. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. do, do you feel like you've been through particular stages and you can now sort of you know, see out the other end or appreciate the different stages of grief or what was said, what was the kind of, uh, how did it go for you? Yeah, that's interesting too. Um, what I would say with that is that, um, definitely these people that have researched grief, you know, they know what they're talking about. Um, and yet, um, these stages get very mixed up. So, you know, you can go like through a really intense period of grief and then you can have personally, I found, you know, a week, a month where things feel really light and you kind of almost forget a bit, you know, Mm -hmm. you always think about the loved one that you've lost, but there are other things that, that, you know, are transporting you to different places and then bang, you know, just when you're not expecting it, it just lands on your door again. And, you know, it's, it comes in different guises. In fact, one of the poems that I've written, um, which I think is on my blog is called waves. And, you know, it's a bit cliched, but people do talk about uh, grief coming in waves. And I certainly experience it that way. Like sometimes they're kind of gentle lapping waves that you feel kind of close to and comfortable with. Sometimes there are tidal waves that just come from behind and they kind of drown you and, you know, you wonder what, what's going on. Um, other times, yeah, you feel like you can kind of enter into them a bit and and it feels safe. Uh, it's like yeah. they have diff- different shapes, forms, um, and, yeah, they you never really know how they're going to be and you just have to kind of swim along with them and, and, and kind of accept that's how it is, you know. There's a lot of acceptance um, that you need to have when you're you're um, going through grief. The more you accept, the more um, natural the healing process. It's sort of identifying, you know, being aware of the bits that aren't in your control, and then trying to think, well, you know, what are the bits that are in your control? As far as self care, yeah. connection, remembering that person, you know, thinking about yeah. how they might want you to live your life, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think so, and I think it's and being kind to yourself throughout that process, um, and remembering that it is something that's both very personal to you in the way that you're going to experience it, and also something that you know everybody will go through at some stage. So you know, you're not on your own with it, really. 
it's part of the human condition. And, um, and when we put ourselves out there, there's, we, we always find that there's more people that are going through something or who might support us in some way. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, what, yeah. what advice would you give to somebody who's, uh, perhaps, you know, in the middle of having a loved one who's ill or who has just lost somebody close to them and is dealing with that sort of adversity? What are, what are some of the first steps that they can take? Yeah. Um, well, one, the first thing that comes to mind, um, is just to know that they are still with you. Um, whatever your sort of, you know, spiritual beliefs is immaterial, but you know, they, what your relationship is still with you. Um, and that can provide such amazing source of strength if you connect to it. Um, and yeah, there's, you know, don't rush yourself. Um, it's something that you have to kind of be with. And sometimes it's tough. Um, and you know, that's okay. It's all okay. There is not a right or wrong way to behave, to process it. Some people need to talk a lot. Other people just want a bit of time on them on their own. Um, don't have set expectations of yourself and of how you should be. Don't give yourself a time frame. You know, some people might fit into this wonderful two year grief period. Some, some people might take less time, you know, some people might take and might always be processing that grief. And I do believe that you're always living with it a bit. Of course. Um, and, and that, that's also okay. And do, um, do you have um, specific sort of traditions or like rituals? Yeah, or rituals, you, yeah? that's the one. Traditions or rituals um, that you, and you don't have to go into them if they're personal, but that you use personally or alongside your family in order to remember your dad or to, to think about him in, in that sort of way? Yeah, um, I don't mind sharing them at okay, all, lovely. actually. Um, yeah, one thing is that my dad used to love meatballs with spaghetti. So my lovely partner, Andy, um, for his birthday and usually for Father's Day, um, he makes now vegetarian meatballs for us because they're not really meatballs, um, but we've become vegetarian this year. So, um, but yeah, it's it's a little tradition and, you know, it makes me smile when we have it because I could, I've got this picture of my dad and he's got a glass of wine in one hand and his meatballs and on the, on the plate and he's got a lovely big smile on his face. And he's actually raising his glass as if to say cheers. And actually, here I am sitting upstairs in the room in which I do my coaching. And I can see that photo right now. Um, and it makes me feel so happy yeah. to celebrate Dad by having this lovely meal that he would enjoy. And I know every time I that we have these vegetarian meatballs, <laughs> um, you know, he'd be there somewhere up above saying, cheers, Sam. So that's one of them. Um I love it. Also, yeah, um, I have, since I um, discovered how very important um, writing my poetry was to me, um, every year on Dad's birthday, fortunately, it's in my school holiday, so I'm off of work. So I don't actually see anybody that day. I like to be on my own. And mm-hmm. um, I create a book of all the poetry that I've written about um our time together and my relationship with my dad and various things that remind me of him. Um, and you know, uh, many of my poems have been on that topic. So the last two years we've got 
a couple of nice books um, about that that have been made. So, mm. yeah, that's really very therapeutic because it feels like I'm doing something concrete. Um, my mind has something to focus on and it's um, commemorating um, the special human being that my dad was. So it feels important and also um, like I have a purpose on a day which could otherwise be quite difficult for me. What a beautiful journey. So, so much wisdom there as far as um, self-care and the quite natural process um, of grief. But when it's so someone that's just so close to your heart and you can just hear it in your voice and in your stories, you know, um, thank you so much for being so, so sort of open and, and honest. I know that a lot of our listeners will get a lot of tools and tips from this. Um, if people want to connect to you or find this blog that you're talking about or, or work with you in some capacity, where can they find you? Yeah, so um, basically I have a poetry blog on WordPress um, and the website is www.peacockpoetry.wordpress.com. Yeah, so I'm under Sam Allen on yeah. uh, WordPress. So um, I work as a life coach, as I said, and I have currently a page, a Facebook page. Um, I can be found... Um, just through a search under S.J. Allen. I'm also on LinkedIn as Samantha Allen. Um, yeah, and I offer life coaching sessions, which can be done um, via Skype or via telephone um, or in person if you happen to live in Switzerland and are listening to this podcast. Yeah, near your village, yeah. <laughs> Lovely. My coaching is – I'm very passionate about my coaching. Um, absolutely love it. Um, as I'm a full-time teacher, it's something that I've gone into because – I love it. Um, it. I'm not doing it just because it's a job. So um, I'm always very interested to connect with new clients um, and to work with people, particularly around the themes of creativity, uh, grief and emotions. That's what I was wondering. I was wondering if you use these tools as far as writing and expression within the life coaching journey. Yeah, I, I really do. I'm finding you kind of, as you get more experience with the coaching, you realize what kind of niche you have, you know, within that field. And what I'm, I'm noticing about myself is that, um, because I love all things creative and, you know, I consider myself to be quite an imaginative person. I, I tend to facilitate that in people that I coach and, um, yeah, I'm very interested in helping people connect to their creativity, which I believe is innate in everybody. And, um, also people that are already considered themselves to be very creative, you know, helping them to advance on their um, journey with that. Um, and similarly with the grief thing, having just gone through it. So, you know, quite, quite recently myself, um, I know what it's like to sit with strong feelings. Um, and I, I know that I am able to help clients, um, to be with those feelings and, to find a, a path forward in this difficult, um, life-changing, um, and also illuminating journey. Amazing. Samantha, thank you so much, uh, for your time. We'll put all those details into the podcast notes. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on, as that's the first step to making life amazing. 
check out my website, PetraVelsBoer.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.